Because if I'm not looking at God, then who am I looking at? Not God. If I'm not looking at God, I don't like my chances in finding much courage in my life. Because he's the only source of my true courage. That's why the fear of the Lord is everything. But Saul and the army, they're not fearing the Lord. So their only other option is something other than God. That's never going to work out well. Don't you agree? That's never going to be good for them or for us. So they had the fear of man now. And the fear of man is what paralyzes us. And this is what happens when unbelief starts to take root within our lives. Well, it's one of the most popular stories in Scripture. It's one of the most familiar stories in Scripture. And it's also one of the most powerful stories in Scripture. Hey, it's a big story today. Welcome to Live in the Light. I'm your host, Craig Turnbull. And joining me in our studio is Pastor Robbie Simons. Now, Robbie, the message for today is a little different. Now, I've always heard this story as being David and Goliath, but you've titled it something different. That's right. The title for this, as you said, very, very, probably the most famous story in Scripture. Maybe Jonah is a close second or something like that. But uh, David and Goliath, we're calling today God and Goliath. Because who's the hero of this story, really? And this it really is amazing text. The hero is not ultimately David. It's the God that David serves. And we're going to see that in the text today. And Craig, you and I, we love the part where David says, you know, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It's the best. And so David knows who the real hero is. And we're going to learn too, man, when our eyes are set upon our God and we see his glory and how sovereign and majestic he is, if we can look up, well, then fear starts to dissipate and faith takes the place of fear. And this is why David's such a great example. So we're praying for a familiar story today, but we're praying to be wonderful, new, fresh take and great transformation in the lives of the listeners here at Live in the Light. All right, I love it. I can almost hear the big guy falling now. Excited for God's word today as we dig in. It's 1 Samuel 17. God and Goliath. Here again is Pastor Robbie. Point number one, God's people tested. God's people tested. We jump in here. Look at verse one, verses one to three. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, in camp between Soko and Azekah in Ephestamine. And Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered and encamped in the Valley of Elah. And they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. So picture this happening in your mind right now. It's pretty dramatic. And the Philistines stood on one mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley that was between them. So verses one to three tell us there's a showdown of two armies setting the stage for what would be an astonishing battle. You have one army, the text says, on one mountain, 
You have the other army on the other mountain, and then you have a valley that is in between these two mountains and these two armies. If you're like me, you like maps. If you're like me, you like pictures. We actually have a picture here of the actual Valley of Elah as it is present day. I had the privilege of being somewhere close to this. We weren't exactly sure if we were looking. We didn't have a guide with us, but we weren't exactly sure, but we were anywhere. We got caught up in the mountains somewhere up here or whatever, but we were, we were close, okay? But here's the actual Valley of Elah, and you can see it kind of running right through here. And so the Philistines camp, they were on this side. And then the Israel camp, they would be on this side with Saul. So we're kind of looking from Azekah here. And then once the, uh, the Philistines were defeated, you know they lose, right? You know they lose? Okay, good, good. And then they flee this way. And then they have a little, here's a little creek where David would have found his five smooth stones. But this is the act, this is what it looks like. And this is what it looked like present day. And this is a real place. This really happened. And, and we're excited to be able to see that. So you kind of get your visual senses going there as we look into this text and try to imagine what this scene must have been like. Look now at verse four. In verse four, it says, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. Ooh, Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. Can I say this, by the way? So when I was in Romania, I was preaching with a translator the whole time. I don't miss that, all right? This is, this is nice right now. This is nice right now, all right? You know my style. You try to go, stop, stop. Anyways, I'm sorry about that. I just thought of that. Well, this is great. Anyways, okay. With a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, verse six. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Some of you are like, what does that mean? I'll tell you in a second. And his shield bearer went before him, okay? So this is where the story begins to capture the imagination of all who are reading it. Why? This giant Goliath is introduced. Notice, first of all, um, he's a champion. It's the only time in the Old Testament that word is used. What that means is he was the Philistine representative of going to battle kind of one-on-one. He's exactly what he's being portrayed as here. He's their champion. He's going to go out and take on all challengers. Notice his height was six cubits and a span. Best estimate star, that's nine feet, nine inches tall. That's tall, okay? Some think more, something a little bit less, but probably pretty accurate, nine feet, nine inches tall. The guy was huge. He was intimidating to look at. And especially when the Israelites were known to be typically smaller than he had his armor. The text gives detail about this. It's painting a picture in God's word, bronze helmet, a coat of scale of armor that would have weighed somewhere around 126 pounds, okay? That's more than some of us weigh in this room right now. Just imagine Armor, armor on his legs, like knee and shin guards. He had a javelin or a sword that was across his back. Then he had a spear, a shaft like a weaver's beam, and the spear head. Okay, the head of the spear itself weighed probably 20 pounds, 15 to 20 pounds. Just the head of the spear. Wow, ever take a 20-pound weight and try to do that? He had that as a spear, the head of his spear. So his armor in total weighed somewhere between 150 to 200 pounds. How strong and big do you have to be just to have your armor walking around with 200 pounds weighing you down? All that to say this, this guy was big, this guy was bad, and I presume he was very ugly, all right? Is that fair? Is that fair? I just, 
I just presume that he wasn't that nice to look at. So how can we describe all of this and not show a picture? Fair, fair? Okay, because I like this too. Let's show, this is an artist's rendition of what this might have looked like. We have no idea whether this is fully accurate, but this is pretty good detail according to what the Bible tells us. So there's an artist thinking that this is what this might have been looked at and the mocking, of course, of the Philistines. So, so we're getting the idea of what's happening here, okay? Goliath is introduced and he now begins to speak. Look at verse eight. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Goliath, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Notice that, Saul is the one. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So here's what Goliath does. He comes forward. He questions the resolve of the Israelites. He dares them to fight. And then he defies the army as a whole. He heaps shame upon them. And then notice verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All right, so right here, loved ones, this becomes what? This becomes the test of God's people. Goliath is a symbol of the test that has confronted God's people right here. And this is the test and kind of test that we will face in our lives at times as well. But the test that they are facing, unfortunately, it looks like the Israelites did not study very hard. Don't you agree? So Goliath is smart here. Whoever told him to do this, whatever, he's smart because he goes up in his armor, his massive frame, his massive size, and he's parading back and forth his strength in front of God's people. And what ended up happening before he even drew a sword, he had already won just by his intimidation just by his threatening, just by his fear, the Israelites were done. No one wanted to fight. They were shaking in their boots. Their knees were knocking. They were greatly dismayed. They were feeling all this fear. Now what about Saul? Saul's mentioned. Saul was the military leader. The Bible tells us in previous chapters that Saul was literally head and shoulders above the rest of Israel. So naturally, you think Saul would be the one to fight Goliath. He's king. He's a leader, he's big, he's been a military leader in the past, but this doesn't even seem to be an option right here. Why, why? Because when the spirit, listen carefully, when the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, then with God's spirit also went God's courage. And so now Saul's not seeing things in the eyes of God. Saul's now seeing things through the eyes of men. Now, throughout this chapter, Goliath, in many ways, will symbolize, will symbolize our enemy, the devil. A symbol of that. And isn't it one of the greatest weapons of our enemy to try to intimidate us, threaten us, accuse us, and place fear in us? Isn't that true? And we think of how much fear paralyzes us when unchecked by God's word, and especially when we're not living in the fear of the Lord. Again, verse 11 makes it plainly clear. God's people had lost their fear of the Lord. Now listen, loved ones, here's some biblical counseling right here, which is very helpful. When God's people lose their fear of the Lord, it's replaced with something else. If it's not the fear of the Lord, by the way, an absence of the fear of the Lord is unbelief. The root of not fearing God is I don't believe in the power of my God upon my life. 
And so because I don't believe, then what replaces my fear of the Lord has to be now some level of, some form of the fear of man. Because if I'm not looking at God, then who am I looking at? Not God. If I'm not looking at God, I don't like my chances in finding much courage in my life because he's the only source of my true courage. That's why the fear of the Lord is everything. But Saul and the army, they're not fearing the Lord. So their only other option is something other than God. That's never gonna work out well, don't you agree? That's never gonna be good for them or for us. So they had the fear of man now, and the fear of man is what paralyzes us. And this is what happens when unbelief starts to take root within our lives. Notice, notice, the unbelief, God fades into the background. And when God fades into the background again, then we're left with ourselves and whatever we see in the world around us. This is why Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, listen, listen, the fear of man lays a snare. Okay, so when we are filled with a lack of fear of God and we have a fear of man, that's laying a trap for our lives. It's laying a snare. But then the text says, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. You see, safety in the fear of the Lord, a snare, a trap in the fear of man. Now, notice in verse 11, the source of the Israelites' fear. Can you see it? Can you see it? Don't look at me, don't look at me, look at the text. Be students, be students. Here it is. When did they start to become truly afraid? When they heard the words of the Philistine. Because you have no fear of the Lord, then you don't hear the word of the Lord. And when you don't hear the word of the Lord, then what do you hear? You hear the word of man. And this led to the fear of man, again, all because of their lack of belief. Now, this begs the question for us right now, loved ones, as we look at this text and we see what's happening with Israel, we see what's happening with Saul. And of course, as you read God's word, you start to look at your own heart of the Holy Spirit's working here and we start to ask ourselves these questions. Are, are we right now in our lives, are we more motivated by the fear of the Lord? Are we more motivated by the fear of man? Are we more captivated by the word of the Lord or are we more captivated by the word of men? Ask yourself this question, which voice is louder in our lives? The voice of our enemy or the voice of our God? Remember, you know what's coming. David's coming, man. David's coming. And apparently he's not gonna be too phased by the word of man and Goliath. But see, that's the difference of someone who fears the Lord and someone who fears man. That's why I love so much that song. So many songs we can kind of bring up, but that song, Hosanna, uh, in your presence, we find strength to face the day. In the presence of the Lord, you have the fear of the Lord. You, you see him, you, 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 you know his majesty and his glory. And he's the one sitting on the throne and he has you perfectly secure. In your presence, we find strength to face the day, amen. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Hosanna. It's awesome. I love it so much, right? In your presence, in the fear of God, my worldly fears go away. And when that happens, the tears start flowing down the cheeks because of how beautiful our God is and how powerful he is and how awesome he is. And you're like, I'm okay. I'm good. He, he's got me. I belong to him. And the world now, all of a sudden, their voice is pretty dim. Can't hear it. So what'd you say, world? What'd you say? I'm sorry, I'm too busy looking at my awesome God. And I'm his child. What do you want to tell me again, Satan? It's the power of the fear of the Lord. When you start fearing man, you start fearing man, and all of a sudden, the voices start ringing in our ears. This is what's happening to Israel. God, I pray that you would cause that not to happen 
to us. Because again, love and love and fear paralyzes. Worldly fear makes us just stick and can't move. And I'm so afraid. I don't want to do anything. That's not God's will for our lives. This is why um, the victorious Christian life in Christ, it's not trying harder. It's Christ in us. I've been so blessed. You've got to know this, okay? A part of this church, I love this church so much. I love, I love the people of this. I just, I just, love, I just love you. Um, to see the saints, there's a lot of saints right now walking towards heaven. And we've seen a lot of funerals happen in the last year and a couple of years. And we're going to see that. It's just, that, that's what, I am so blessed by the saints in this church as they approach death, which is really life. They're like, I can't wait to be with Christ. Like literally saying, Lord, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Like they're facing so many people in this world are just terrified and they're there and they're like, whatever you want, Lord, bring it because they have such a sense of God and he's real and he loves them and they've been saved for this purpose. They're, they're about to start life. And there they are saying the joy they have in the midst of what is so worldly unexplainable. That's awesome. That's the testing we go through. But when God is so close to us, how powerful he is seen within our lives. So remember, it's in this scene of cowardice. So far, there's been cowardice among Israel, but it's the scene of cowardice that is now paving the way for one man, really one boy with courage. And that's exciting. So God's people tested number two, this, God's man emboldened. God's man now emboldened. Now look at verse 12 and notice the first, the first two words of verse 12. Now David, yes, right? So cowardly, cowardice, uh, shaking, dismayed, fear of man. And the Bible's like, oh yeah, here we go, here we go. Ready, verse 12. Now David. And you get a sense of that. I read that this week. I'm like, yeah, David. So, so in the vacuum of courageous leadership, God provides his man. God always has his man or his woman. God always has them. Set aside, we learned, for a time such as this. Not just any man, a man after God's own heart. A man filled with tremendous courage. Okay, loved ones, watch this, okay? A man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart is a man or woman filled with tremendous courage because it's God in them, right? They go together. You seek the Lord, you find strength. You seek the Lord, you find wisdom. You seek the Lord, you find joy. You have God in you, you find courage. David is, it's not David, right? Get that, not David. It's God in David. But David really wanted God. He was really going after God and God filled his life. But it's all God. That's why it's God and Goliath, ultimately. But David wanted him. David hungered after him. David filled his life with him. And when we are after God's heart, we will find courage and strength to face the day. It's not that complicated. It's not hard, but, or it's not simple, but it's not that complicated. I want you to see verse 16. Look at verse 16. It says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took a stand morning and evening. Okay, so that's not insignificant. 40 days in scripture is almost always associated with a time of testing. And without a doubt here, the people of God were being tested. It wasn't just like one morning, one day. I dare anyone to come fight me. 40 days in a row. Morning and night, twice a day, the challenge was issued from Goliath. So fair to say Saul had his chance. 
You think maybe after like day 11, Saul will be like, I'm fed up with it. Okay, let me add him. You know what I mean? 37? But 40 go by and not one guy is willing to do it. And this is the scene where David shows up. Now we learn from the text that David was sent by his father, Jesse. David's showing up to the battle lines because he's just doing what he's told. He's there to feed his brothers. He arrives and the battle lines are being drawn between two armies. So David shows up and the Philistines and the Israelites, they're forming their battle lines. So who knows what's gonna happen next? And then Goliath appears again and Goliath speaks. Now look at verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And look at the next four words, at least in my translation. It says, and David heard him. Now, those are some of my favorite words in this entire story. You know what I wrote in my Bible beside that sentence? I wrote, it's go time. Because, because translation for, and David heard him, the translation really for that is, Goliath is dead. He's dead. I just imagine the shepherd boy, I mean, shepherd boy, all the, all the army trained, there they all, these men, scared out of their minds. And David goes up and he hears Goliath, he was standing, he turns and he hears him. And in his mind and heart, he's like, I'm gonna kill that guy. And every other Israel's cowering somewhere, in the, especially Saul, and there's David. That amazes me. That blesses me so much. And David heard him. Now we know where this story is going, okay? We know what's gonna happen. Boy, every single person in this room, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere forever, okay? You know what's gonna happen. The question I have is then, how is it possible? How is it possible that David, as a boy, basically, teenager, a shepherd at that, he's about to face a giant, he doesn't stand a chance, true? He doesn't stand a chance, like unworldly terms, man. He's a little kid. He's a giant. He doesn't stand a chance. But of course, that's looking at this story through the eyes of man. But then we start to look at it through the eyes of God. And what do we start to see? We start to see that the true giant has really just showed up. David is the true giant. And he's going to make sure that Goliath knows that he's a dwarf. David's the giant, Goliath is the dwarf. But again, again, I say, okay, how? How is David used in this way? I wanna know that because I wanna look at my life through that examination and lens. There's five truths, five truths. I wanna answer that question by, they'll be on the screen to my left and behind me, I suppose. Five truths of why was David used? As he shows up, why was he used? Number one is this, okay? Number one answer here is this, solitude with God. David's solitude with God proved to be his strength in the Lord. Now, do not underestimate what I just said. Don't do it. Do not, yeah, solitude, yeah, do not underestimate that truth. Hindsight to the story tells us David shows up to the battle and he's 100% ready to go. He's 100% ready to fight Goliath when he shows up. Doesn't need more army training. Doesn't need to put on some kind of armor that Saul's gonna try to get him to put on. He's, a, he, he's 100% ready to go right there, okay? So then someone look at the story and say, well, maybe he was part of the Navy SEALs or something like that. No, 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 no. He was in the shepherd's field. 
He was like by himself, like in quiet, just doing the job no one else wanted to do. But listen, listen, ready? Here, here it is, here it is. The ways of God, not the ways of man. He wasn't under army training, but he was under God's training. He was under God's training. He was under a time where he was being trained in the communion with the Lord. Verse 14, okay, tells us again, he's the youngest of eight. His job was to feed sheep. So that makes no sense. So whatever David was doing in the shepherd's field, whatever, look right here, look right here, look right here. Whatever David was doing in the shepherd's field made him by far the most prepared man in the entire Israelite army to face and kill Goliath. He was the most prepared man in the whole army and he wasn't even a part of the army. Why? What was, he, what was happening in the shepherd's field? You know what's happening in, in the shepherd's field? He was seeking his God. He was loving his God. He was praying to his God. He was learning about his God. He was hearing from his God. He was trusting his God. Loved ones, I, I can't stress this. This meant so much to me this week, even as I thought about it. And I just, I confess to you at my study desk and writing this message as I realized when David shows up to the army feeding his brothers, he is so and fully prepared again to take down the greatest obstacle facing God's people. And why? Because he loved his God so much. You and I, we can never ever overestimate the power of our time, our communion with the Lord. That, that is where the battle is won, loved ones. This is why so many Christian lives are so weak. There is no relationship truly acting with the Lord. There is no communion with God. I mean, open up, look at your Bible a couple of seconds and going on to your day, right? Now that's not guilt producing the conviction though to understand through prayer and seeking and surrender and repentance and God's word and my communion with him. When that battle is won, bring on the day. Again, I, I, I like your chances to somehow disregard that is I have to get busy doing something. We're missing the whole point. David shows up, man, he's ready more than any other soldier. That's awesome. Reminds me of my grandpa. He was a pastor in the Anglican church in small town Ontario. And I remember hearing stories about him and he'd wake up every morning at dawn or something around there, 5.30. And one of my um, cousins described him as at his funeral. I remember the story well. He described him as Grandpa Simons and, and he would every morning wake up like a soldier and go and meet his God. Never had a massive church, never had some grand ministry but he had his God, he was faithful. And every morning as a soldier, he went up with word in hand to pray to his God. See, see that, that's the real army training right there. See, and David got that. Remember, remember, man, I'm not, I'm not embellishing a story for you to be impressed. You're seeing it right here. He showed up prepared and no one else was. And you know the answer right now. You know the single greatest reason he was is because he was pursuing his God passion. Not so God will say, way to go, David, way to go. Now I'm proud of you. No, no, no. Because he loved him so much and he was so ready. Number two, watch this. Um, a heart to serve. I was David used. He had a heart to serve. Notice in verse 13, okay? Why don't you look at verse 13? David's three oldest brothers are with the army, but David had four other brothers. So why didn't Jesse send them? Can't say for sure, but under God's sovereignty, God's like this day is when David's gonna be used in a massive way. But David, right? Eager to serve, man. Eager, humble, ready, servant's heart. 
and David's life would never be the same again. He's ready to go, loved ones. He's meeting with his God. He's, Lord, Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. Use it, use it. And God's like, okay, today, your dad's gonna ask you to go feed your brothers. He's gonna ask you. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll feed my brothers in the army and just kind of tend the sheep and go them. And, and God's like, yeah, you'll do that. And you'll do more than that too. You know, I wonder how much we've missed out on, on our lives because we haven't had a readiness to serve. Just, just, just look at your life right now and just ask the question, how much have we possibly missed out on because of our unwillingness to serve? So much of life in Christ is showing up. So much of our life is showing up, showing up to meet the Lord, showing up in prayer, showing up in serving, showing up to be used by him. He's saying, Lord, here's, here's what, you know what I love to do too each day? I mean, every single day, but most days I put my day before the Lord. God, here's my day. Would you guide my thoughts? Would you cover my speech? And would you guide my actions? Lord, thought, word, deed, here's my day. I give it to you. Would you use me as you desire and as you would decide in how I think, the words I say, and the actions that I live? Because I want this day to be for your glory. I want to bear fruit for you. Whatever it is, Lord, you take it and you do that. Um, I'm pretty confident if you take that prayer before the Lord on a, on a sincere daily basis, you will find yourself being moved in certain directions in thought, word, and deed uh, for the glory of God. Wow, well, an encouraging message for sure. We pray God has done just that in your heart, encouraged you as you have found your face fixed again at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, if God's been stirring in your heart and you'd love to share it, reach out to maybe the Live in the Light team and maybe share a word of encouragement or even to grab a copy of today's message, make sure you visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light. 